0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Lash Boss Radio. I'm Shelby, your host, and today I'm joined by Jimmy Rex, who is an entrepreneur, investor, podcaster, and founder of the We Are The They movement. We are going to talk about all things business and marketing, and he definitely knows a thing or two because across many industries, especially real estate, he's um, been really successful. So welcome to the show.
1: Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Shelby.
0: I'm so excited you're here. I know. It's fun. Uh, should we start with how we met? Let's do it. <laughs> um, uh, Yeah, so we met at a retreat. and um,
1: Yeah, Fit for Service. It was the singles retreat. And it was funny because they, they had an exercise where they wanted everybody to, during the Super Bowl last year, you had to basically go up and invite one of the, each guy had to go invite one of the women to go out for the next night. And it was funny because... I'm pretty picky about who I want to spend my time with. And so it was like, I definitely had seen you and there was maybe one or two other you know women that I was like, okay, I'm interested in getting to know them. But so it's funny because as soon as we were able to, I went right up to you because I'm not waiting. Like I know myself, I don't want to get stuck and then just kind of hate it. And so, yeah, picked you and we went on the little date and uh, (laughs) had a great time. And yeah, it was pretty funny.
0: Yeah. And then we've also encountered uh, the Duke and Duchess which
1: I was crazy, by the way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. We we went on just a trip together and we saw them and it was so cool. Well,
1: What was funny is I didn't know that the Duke and Duchess of um, Cambridge, Cambridge, what that meant.
0: Same. And I was <laughs> like, is that Kate and William? Like, I didn't know. Either. Yeah.
1: We're staying in this obscure island in the Bahamas and it, we, I picked the nicest hotel, which wasn't that nice, <laughs> but and they sure as enough, they show up at our hotel. They're literally in a room a couple over from us.
0: Yeah, we missed their first sighting because I wanted a pina colada. And yeah, but luckily we saw them. You saw them a couple times. I only saw them once. I
1: felt after. bad because it was like it just wasn't meant to be for you. I don't know what know. that was. It was funny because they were all coming in and I was like, oh, we need to be outside. And they came. we were in the lobby and sure enough, we miss them. And then you you got one drink the entire weekend, by the way. After that, you're like, I'm going to go get a pina colada. It was the only drink you got the whole weekend. And we were gone for five minutes and we missed him again. And then when I came back that night, I had to go run an errand. Uh, I saw him again. And unfortunately, you were in the room.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I always talk about that story. It was so cool. It was Uh, wild. Yeah. I love that we like didn't really know who they were. And then we were like Googling it. But yeah. Anyway, so... um, You are super successful, and I just want to kind of go back to the beginning of your entrepreneur career and just talk about, like, what, you know, got you into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I had the blessing or curse, call it whatever you want, of I wasn't very good at being employed. I don't like taking directions from other people. I like to get paid what I'm worth. And so like for me, you know, I tried to work a couple odd jobs when I was younger, like being a bus boy and stuff. And I got fired after like two weeks, just dumb things. I just wasn't very good at taking directions. I was the kid that spent most of junior high and high school in the hall getting in trouble, you know? And so for me, I just decided I wanted to try to use my sales skills I knew I could sell. And so I started from a very young age, I started um, my first company I started was selling Christmas lights door-to-door. And so I would basically just fly her in a neighborhood, and then I'd go around, and uh, whoever called me, and I'd bid them on how much we'd charge to put up their Christmas lights. My brother Dale was the best one at putting them up, and so he'd put them up. I would just basically do all the sales stuff. And, uh, I mean, we made five, ten grand in a month, you know? We thought we were rich. And then uh, after that, I started a meat company selling steak and chicken door-to-door. It's like the most random thing, but I just, ad, I answered all these ads in the paper and that was the one that stood out to me. And I mean, I ended up after about six months figuring out how that company worked, started my own company selling meat door to door. And before I knew it, when I was in college, um, it was funny cause people would, you know, in college, everybody's poor, they're eating ramen. I would throw steak parties. And we'd have hundreds of people show up and that's where I get all my salespeople from. And so they'd be like, who the hell is serving steak and salmon and chicken to everybody? And they're called, Jimmy has a meat company. And, uh, so I had eight, 10 guys going out every day selling steak. And I was running, I had freezers in the back. I had a condo that I bought in, uh, the college town I was in and I just filled up the backyard with freezers, uh, where we'd keep all the meat. And that was kind of my first like foray into it. But after that, I just kind of got the bug for doing my own business and, um, was doing that. But then I had my partner in the meat company, he ended up actually stealing, like over a hundred grand and I was like 22, 23 years old. So, I mean, you I had, I got stuck with all this debt. I had the bank debt I had. So we were franchising it and I had a guy that was a lawyer that was working on that. So we had sold one franchise. And when the guy paid the money, that's when my partner took all the money and ran off as over 50 grand. And so I got stuck with all the debt. And so, I mean, I was 24 years old with over a hundred grand debt. Like I thought my life was over. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this is going to be so bad. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I got my real estate license and just jumped all into that. And that just really took off. One of the benefits, it's actually the biggest blessing I ever had was that debt, because I had no choice but to go and succeed. So I was working 70, 80 hours. I mean, multiple times I woke up on my couch the next morning, still wearing my suit from the night before, just so tired, I didn't even get to bed. And, uh, but yeah, my second year as a realtor, kind of to give you an idea of how that went, um, I ended up selling 98 homes with one assistant and, um, I was one of like the two salespeople of the year on the like, solid board of realtors. And from there it just kind of took off.
0: Yeah. You became one of Utah's top, um, or the country's top real estate agents for a long time.
1: Yeah. For that next 10, 15 years. I mean, I was right there. I was one of the top agents, I was usually the top agent in my County, one of the top two or three in the state of Utah. And then, yeah, I got recognized for a lot of different things around the country as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I sold between me and my team now. I mean, over the last 20 years sold seven, 7,000 houses about. Yeah. It's
0: amazing. Yeah. I want to go back to the debt. Um, financial stress can be debilitating to people and it can it's very impactful uh one it it's it can motivate you but it also can make you really really down it can be really dark um can you talk a little bit more about your mindset in that time to help you overcome that
1: yeah i mean it was hard and even when i got into real estate you know i i thought i was god's gift to real estate i sold all these houses and was buying a bunch of houses and then the market crashed I got stuck with again with, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And so it was like never ending. There was like an eight year period where it just was so hard. I mean, anybody that was in real estate in 2007, eight, nine, 10 knows just how hard that was. And so I had a couple of things that got me through. Number one was um, I would take mindset breaks every day. So I had a box, like a cardboard box, I put in my backseat of my vehicle. And twice a day, I just go out there and I either had motivational books, motivational CDs, whatever I could to keep me motivated. I had all these different, you know, quotes I'd printed off or like things and I'd read and and I just filled my mind with positive stuff. And I did that twice a day. And uh, I had a great real estate mentor coach that I had hired um, that was keeping me working hard. But then also a couple other things like it's funny. People are like, how'd you get through such a hard time? You know, it was so hard. So, I mean, literally every day agents were leaving the office. I mean, picking up and leaving. It was we went from, I think, 14,000 agents on our board of realtors to like 2,000. It was wow. crazy. Yeah, no, I mean, it was like nobody was buying homes. We had a 22 month supply of homes on the market at one point. But for me, it was kind of more obvious than that. I was like, well, what's the other option than working through? It's like, I'm going to be a loser. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, to me, it was, it, there wasn't ever a choice to not succeed. Um, but w- the one thing that kept me going, one thing that was really important is I had a quote on, I had this prospecting room at my office. I made them build me this like closet about the size of this room, maybe a little smaller. And, uh, and I had quotes all over and pictures of people that inspired me. And the one quote on my wall, cause here's the thing is you have to have these whys that are bigger because sometimes work just sucks. And sometimes the job you're in sucks. Sometimes the market sucks or whatever it is. And it can be really hard to motivate yourself to go to work. And so I had this thing where I called it stack the whys. I would just stack all these reasons why I needed to keep working hard. And um, when you're just paying off debt and paying off bills, like it can't, it's not really that motivating to get into work. It can be really hard, which is kind of what you're speaking to, right? It's just like, oh, this is never ending. So I had a quote on my wall though, um, because I always knew I wanted to make something out of my life. And I had this quote, it said, show up today for your future self. You never know who's going to need you. Mm. And so I had was very forward thinking. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen down the line. I don't know where this is going to pay off. but today I'm going to show up for my future self. And so I would just kept grinding. And after a few years it finally, um, took off again and, you know, very quickly flipped, I was making a ton of money, but, but it was a grind. I mean, it was, I had multiple times I had to tell my assistant to hold his check, um, you know, stuff like that. But I just, to me, there was no other option. It's like, I'm going to be successful. Um, right now it sucks. I'm going to power through and go from there.
0: So the people on your team on that time, are any of them still with you?
1: Um, so the one guy that stood with me is, yeah, so um, I brought on my best friend um, probably 15 years ago. His name's Chris. And basically he was my assistant at first. And then, I, you know, when the market turned, I said, look, man, I can't afford to pay you what we were. I'm going to cut your salary in half. Go back to school. I'll pay for your school. So he got his degree and then when he came back on, I promised him to give him a portion of ourselves um, as far as like a portion of the money that I made. And what's really cool, cause he stood by me when he was making 20,000 a year, but for about a six, seven year period there, um, he made, you know, three, four 500,000 bucks a year later on, once I started making a lot of money. And I was so happy to pay that. Um, he still is the one that runs the team now. And just because he was there when we sucked. And so he's the main one that's still there, but I always kept my team pretty trim, to be honest. Like I have a really hard time with agents, like real estate agents. The one thing that they don't love doing is making their calls. Mm-hmm. It's like the one thing you have to do to make money. And I just was never great at building out my team. And so I kept it pretty slim. Like the team last year, we sold almost 500 homes and um, it was like three of us. And so, yeah. yeah, so we keep it pretty trim. I consider it like a, a specialty team. Like we're all just, you know, kicking ass. And um, it's just, for me, that's the easier way to manage it. So like people like you that have built these giant businesses where you can like have all these different people, like I'm like in awe because for me, I hate managing that many people. I carry their stress. I worry about them more than myself. Like for me, it was just easier to just go sell another 500 homes And so I just kind of doubled down on my own sales as opposed to trying to grow it out.
0: I see. Yeah. It's so cool to um, hear people's stories, especially when they've like struggled deeply, because I'm always curious, like the people around them, how they saw like the resiliency in that that time. And um, I think leaders who are struggling and going through challenges, but can still handle it with grace, especially in front of the team. I think that's a big skill.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, and it was, that was the hardest part was seeing them. Like I still was always kind of having some sales. I was just working so hard. There was no, I mean, I was carrying 50 listings at a time to sell one house a month, but if you're selling one listing a month, one buyer a month, you're still making eight to 10 grand a month. You're surviving, you know? Um, But I had agents on my team go four, five months without selling a house. Um, It's happening again right now. I Mm -hmm. think the realtor count has already gone down like 20% since it's high last May, as far as how many agents are basically in the business. Because ultimately- Uh it's so much harder to run that business if you aren't willing to do the grinding work. But yeah, for the leader, it's like, you know, one of the things for me is I always said, like, I'm never going to ask anybody to do anything I'm not going to do myself. Yeah. And that was the nice thing. Like every single day they saw me on the phones for three or four hours. So I was like, well, Jimmy's doing it. So Mm -hmm. guess I better too. Mm
0: -hmm. So in the lash industry, when somebody first goes out on their own, they have to find clients they have to sell themselves all the time and sometimes it can be hard for some people to to do that it takes them a lot longer than they think i imagine that real estate agents is the same way you see wow i can make a ton of money doing this i can work for myself lots of freedom um I guess I just wanted to kind of connect the two industries a little bit because when you're working for yourself, it doesn't always happen super fast. And even if you work really hard, sometimes it still doesn't work out. So what do you think the biggest differences are with people that have success building a clientele and the people that like are trying so hard and working so hard, but it's just not panning out?
1: Yeah. You know, you're very correct in that. And with real estate, it's even more because let's say you have a ton of success today. You still don't get paid for 60 days. I mean, it's you got to get the client, then you got to get them closed. You know, I mean, it's, it's a cycle that really, really comes down the line. And so I think the biggest difference is like those people that focus on the results always get in trouble. Um, they always get stressed out. They always, they start getting commission breath. They start caring too much about, you know, closing the deal for their own sake, as opposed to worrying about the client. Whereas if you have, if you can really focus, like I looked at it as a funnel, right? And like, if you look at the bottom of a funnel, that's the result, that's what comes out, but you don't control that. The only thing you control is what goes in the funnel. So I always said, if I can keep focused on the things that I need to do every day, I actually made the business predictable. If I made my three hours of calls every day, then I had an hour of lead follow-up every day. I'd have a lunch appointment every day. I'd have three or four clients that wanted to either see homes or sell their homes at night. I knew I was going to be busy. I knew homes were closing. I knew money was going to be there. The second you quit focusing on what you control, which like for real estate was setting those appointments and prospecting lead generation. um, I think in any business, you know, focus on the things that you control. And if you do that and you truly work on those things, then... I think you have a different view as far as what's going to happen because you know what's going to happen. A lot of realtors, they'll close a big deal and you won't see them in the office for two weeks. Like all of a sudden they got paid and they got their money, they're going on vacation. For me, I always said, I don't care. Like I, the day I closed, I once sold the biggest, well, not the biggest, the most expensive home in the history of Utah. It was 32 and dollars. Uh, and the day that closed, I mean, I almost got a seven figure check for that just to give you an idea for one day's work, right? But the day that closed, It was just like every single other day. I just worked, 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 worked. And then I also had the opposite. I had a house that was, you know, at the time, I think the most expensive home I'd ever would have closed. Huge check. And I get a call from the title company and they're like, Uh, something had been screwed up with the documents, the loan officer had screwed up and they ended up not closing and then moving to a different state instead. But that day I worked just like the day I sold the most expensive home. It was just like, okay, like I know my job. And so I never got too caught up in the emotions of it because when you do, you know, you don't have enough clientele, but like focus on the things that you can control. I think that's the key to the people that really make it is like you stay focused on your tasks and you treat it, even though you're independent, even though you don't have a boss, you treat it like a real job. If you do that, and I I knew my job every day was to go in from 8 to 11 and make my calls. And I knew if I did that one thing, I didn't miss for like five years. Like I was so consistent because I knew if I did that one thing, everything else would take care of itself.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm also hearing like don't be above – Doing the work and like getting too comfortable with, like, oh, I've made it. So now, like, I don't need to take classes anymore or whatever that looks like in our industry, too.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was the number one agent in Utah County, I think for the first time in 2010, and then again in 11, and again in 2012, which is a huge county. It's the second biggest county in Utah. And in 2012, at the peak of my career, I mean, everybody saw me as like the number one agent. I went to Arizona State. I took nine months. And I would fly back and forth between Utah and Arizona. And I got my master's in real estate development from Arizona State because I wanted to take my business to the next level. I wanted to have that much more professionalism over everybody else. And everybody's like, what is Jimmy doing? Like, he's already crushing real estate. And I literally, you know, had a place right there in Tempe. And I was going to class Monday to Friday from 8 in the morning till till 2, basically. And I did that for a full year, basically.
0: Uh, so at what point did the We Are The They movement come along?
1: Yeah, so shortly after I sold that house, that $32 million, million house, I was actually doing like a plant medicine ceremony. And I had the strongest impression. It was like 100% new. It's like, you're done just doing this. It was like, you need to do something that has more meaning for your life. And I knew it. And so that day, I remember the next morning we integrated, and even the like facilitator lady, I, you know, I told her like my epiphany because I was the number one agent in the state at that point that year. And uh, she's like, maybe sit on this for a few months. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no, I will. But at the same time, I knew. And so I started looking at kind of what would I do next, and you know, what did I? And there was a, at the same time there was a real estate agent in Utah. He worked his business very similar to the way I did. And he went to pick up his rent check, and he got murdered at the door by somebody that was behind on their, their rent at this fourplex. Rolled him up into a carpet and stuffed him in the basement. And uh, and I remember when the nor- the news story broke. Every single news story, all it said was like, "Realtor dies, Realtor killed, Realtor, Realtor, Realtor." And I remember thinking, like, what a sad life. If I and not that it's yeah. sad to be a realtor, but it's like if I die tomorrow and the only thing I'm known as is a realtor, I'm like so much more than that. Mm-hmm. I was like, I thought it would make me sad. And so I was like, really at that point, I'm like, what do I want to do to really leave a mark on on this earth? And so what I started doing is I started really putting a lot of attention into what I was going to do next. And part of that is I started listening to all the guys that were reaching out to me through Instagram. I'd started building up my social media. I'd had a book come out, um, and so I had a lot of people finding me through my podcast and my book. And they two things kept standing out. Number one was guys kept saying, where do I find a group of friends like yours? You guys seem like you're so tight. You have, you're doing so many, because I really do have like the world's greatest group of friends. I have so many amazing close, close, close friends. And that's something I've always been really good at was being able to correlate those experiences. And I was always throwing the trips and getting everyone together, doing charity stuff, whatever we needed to do to to just build the close bond. And then the second thing that people kept saying is like, hey, I feel like I'm stuck in life. Um, you know, my book, the subtitle of it is uh, the hidden dangers of living a safe life. It's like one thing people know about me is I'm a little crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll jump off cliffs, run with the bulls, swim with sharks. sharks, the whole thing. Yeah. And so I'm always doing things like even just last weekend, the NBA all-star game came to Utah and I just did what I do and ended up sitting front row. I was the guest with Dr. J. who are on the top 10 NBA players of all time. We sat courtside front row on the basketball game. And I did that just cause that's a life experience. Like I figured out a way to do that. I had a friend connect me and, Literally was sitting between Allen Iverson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Dr. J. It was like <laughs> such a ridiculous moment of life. But those things happen to me all the time. It's almost like a bi-weekly thing where something crazy happens. And so people see that, and they're like inspired by it. And so that was what people, people kept asking. And so I said, okay. So I so I started thinking about how I could make a difference. I was like, wait, I know exactly how to build groups of friends. And I knew that guys in particular didn't have a place like the average person, you know, I, me and my friends, we go deep. We have these really deep conversations and it's beautiful. And I've seen every one of my close friends cry and I've seen them at their worst. I've seen them at their best. And we just have these really beautiful experiences. And I'm like, I know how to do this. And so I just decided I was going to do it. And so I'd had the weird that they will, you know, um, on tattooed on my arm for about a year at that point. And I always wanted to do something with the name just because it meant so much to me. And uh, I can get into that if you want or whatever. I but
0: do want you to share about y- that, but for, close for your sure. Yeah, And so,
1: yeah. And so anyway, so I launched the coaching program and it was all based around these experiences of getting men together. Um, my original group, I wanted to have 50 men. And because that's kind of the size of group where you can all really get close without it being too many. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, it was enough to make it worth throwing out there. And it was funny when I launched it, you know, I gave myself 30 days to sell out the program hoping, cause it's a pretty expensive program. Each guy pays 1500 bucks a month. And so it's not like cheap. And so I was just hoping to get 50 guys. And my first day I launched it within eight hours. I had 147 people apply for the program. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm onto something here. Like, you know, this is why so many people are, they feel so alone. And so, and, you know, it's been less, a little over a year now and got almost 300 guys I'm coaching now. Um, all these different little pods now um, and groups. And uh, yeah, it's just been amazing. But that's, that's what it is.
0: It's so cool. Um, I know the story of how it got the name but can you share that for
1: yeah yeah so it was it was kind of cool. kind of happened by accident I was I was working with a group that we would go undercover to foreign countries and help rescue kids that were being sex trafficked and I had the an, opportunity to be on about 11 of these ops um we'd rescued over 100 kids but we had one op in particular in uh I'll just say in a Latin country and it was super dangerous op and Um, I mean, they had like a perimeter set. The guy had guns on him. Like we just, they thought we were, you know, consumers. And so that's the only reason why we were protected. But we basically would go down, we'd set up a sting operation and then the federal police is who we would work with. They'd come in and do the arrest and the whole thing. Well, when I was coming back from this one particular op, it was a super dangerous one. Um, I was telling my girlfriend about it in the car and she kind of pulls over and she's like, Hey, um, like, I don't think I want you to do this anymore. I was like, what are you talking about? you you not just hear what I said? We rescued these kids. We, you know, we arrested the bad guys. She's like, I know, but it's like super dangerous. It's a, it's a really bad environment. I was like, I know, but this is like it's gonna be part of my life now, you know? And she goes, I know, but why can't they just go do it? And I said, What are you talking about? There is no they. We are the they. And as soon as I said that, I was like, oh man, that's good. And so that became the motto of my life. Like everyone always says, like, oh man, they need to do something about this. And it's like, no, there is no they. We are the they. That's where that comes from.
0: I love it. It's so amazing. And I just think that's so cool that you got involved with something like that. That is one of the biggest things that boils my blood. I still can't understand like why as human beings, are we stealing other human beings and doing such terrible things to them? So thank you for doing all of that. And I just think that's really, really cool.
1: Yeah, it was crazy. You know, I haven't done it now. It's been about three years. We kind of retired from that. But, I mean, it's one of those gifts of the lifetime to be able to be in that situation. There's an organization, you know, called Child Liberation Foundation, another called Operation Underground Railroad that I worked with. And we help raise money now for Tim Tebow's organization that does that as well and um, do stuff with him. But, yeah, it's crazy. And it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's like if you're not looking for it, you'd never find it. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, it's out there for sure. And it's a problem.
0: Do you think it's ever going to go away?
1: No. And that's why part of what I kind of switched instead of trying to just do these arrests and rescue these girls. I mean, it was very fulfilling and it definitely mattered. Like we took out one lady. She was an eighth grade school teacher and she was, you know, trafficking these kids because they have to be people that have access to kids and getting her arrested. I know probably saved hundreds of other girls from being Mm -hmm. put in that position. So that like one arrest alone made it worth everything we ever did. But at the end of the day, like you got to get to more to the root. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to do with we're the they is like helping, like help men, like helping heal men. Right. If we can spread that, if we can spread that kind of energy, then I think that's the only way you eradicate it. You don't do it by arresting one person at a time or or rescuing even one person at a time.
0: Totally agree. I feel like so much of the problems in this world boil down to, how they were raised, um, how like how they healed or haven't healed from certain things they've gone through. Mm-hmm. And then it just spreads and the worst things in the world come from that, I feel like.
1: Yeah, and that's the reason why I'm always trying to, you know, I'm pretty open about my own use of like therapy and psychedelics and all the, you know, I did 10 years of, I went to every conference, mastermind, coaching, uh, read hundreds of books. I did everything you can do for my own healing path, right? I mean, I was raised in, um, I had a pretty good childhood for the most part, but there were some definite traumas all over the place, right? And, and you know I had to heal from those things And, Once I did, the way I was able to show up just so dramatically changed. And so that's what I try to do for these men. It's really beautiful because we create this atmosphere. If anybody wants to see kind of what we're all about, you can check out my Instagram, Mr. Jimmy Rex. You can see a lot of these videos that we post where, I mean, we're talking a room of 50 men, grown men, everybody crying and feeling safe to share being molested as a kid or cheating on their wife or being cheated on you know, or whatever, like all these different things that just cause so much pain where, in the past, there's been nowhere to talk about this, and we just—my whole job. I always say, you can't change anybody, but the one thing you can do is you can create an atmosphere that's safe for, for people to open up and work on changing themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that's my whole thing is I try to create this environment, this you know container that's safe enough for people to make those changes and and whatever modality we use to get there.
0: Amazing, um, you know, the beauty industry actually—we uh, are always like on the lookout for people who are being trafficked because if you think about it sometimes they're wh- what would you call that like the person that's trafficking them trafficker yes their yeah. trafficker like would take them to a salon to get sure to look sense. a little different or something mm-hmm. so we actually have to post a sign in in our shops it's required um about like human trafficking and if you see something stuff like that So earlier, you were talking about debt and recovering from that. Um, You've also been able to invest in a lot of different companies and scale your companies and just be super successful in a lot of industries. So can you talk about money management, um, your mindset about money and um, just some things that you've learned along the way?
1: Yeah, no, there's something I enjoy talking about because it made all the difference for me. I wish that I had a podcast I could have listened to like this one to teach me this, because honestly, this one little thing I'll teach right here would have saved me so much time and energy. When I first started making a lot of money, um, well, a couple things. Number one is you kind of trust everybody. You just assume people have your best interest in mind. They don't. Um, So you should make a hard rule. You don't invest any of your money with anybody else because no one will ever watch your money as closely as you do. I mean, my first million I gave away, but even then, like the money I was spending, you know, I wasn't tracking. You got to track every dollar that you spend. I thought I was spending. My account asked me when I first started. It took me about two and a half years into my business to before I started hiring a bookkeeper, and. I remember like, how much money do you think you spend a month? And I'm like, I don't know, six, seven grand. He's like $25,000. And I'm like, geez, no wonder I don't have any money. Like, I didn't even know where I was going. I just know I didn't have any. Mm-hmm. And so whatever you don't f- watch closely, you lose. You know, it sounds ridiculous that it was that far off. But at the end of the day, I wasn't counting like that big purchase of 40 grand or that big purchase of 30 grand. And you start adding that to a monthly total. All of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I spent 25 grand a month. Um, but this was the best advice I ever got. So after that meeting, I mean, I had made millions of dollars and I was dead broke after a couple of years in real estate. I was like, geez Louise, like this is not good. And so I made a rule. And what I did is I put 30% of every dollar I made into a separate account in a separate bank. So when I got my check, my assistant would deposit 30% into my savings bank or my investing account and then the rest into my business account and personal account that I would spend. So when I saw that I had 20 grand or 10 grand or 50 grand, whatever it was in my account, I knew that's what I had to spend. And if I would have seen the full hundred, I would have spent that. So before I knew it, I would just put 30% every check into that account. I was still selling a lot of houses. And so within a year or two, I'd built it up a couple hundred thousand bucks. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, like I actually have money. So that was the first thing to like save money. And then I used that money. I bought real estate. And with that money that I bought real estate, um, because the cool thing about real estate is you can leverage it. You Mm -hmm. know, I can put 20% down on an investment property and if it goes up 10%, it really went up 50% for me on dollar on dollar because it's leveraged five times the amount of money the house is worth versus what I put down. And so the biggest thing I would say is that put that separate money aside and then use that. And I also tell people, like until you own 10 or 15 real estate properties, don't even buy anything else. Like people invest... Here's what I say, invest in yourself first. If you're not making at least 300 grand a year, you just don't make enough money to make a difference investing. Invest it in yourself. Learn new skills, build your business up, do whatever you need to do. But if you're not making at least 300 grand a year, you just don't make enough money to start investing yet, especially not in private capital, like maybe real estate. And then after you've got that where you're making enough money... Put 30, 50% in. And here's the biggest mistake people make. This is the one takeaway from money management. But most people, I mean, almost everybody, they make more money. They all do the same thing. They just spend more money. They go a little nicer car, a little nicer house, more vacations, nicer restaurants, nicer clothes, nicer shoes. And they don't have any more money at the end of the day. And so, what I tell people is learn to live off of a budget where you're conservatively um, doing it and then put all that money away. I started, I was able to put check after check, like huge chunks, like 50 grand, 100 grand, 20 grand, into just my savings account. And so I started using that to buy real estate. Next thing I knew, I had over 30 real estate properties, all of which I'd put over 20% down. And so all of a sudden I had time to do some other investing, invest in some tech companies, some different stock companies, some restaurants, um, all sorts of fun stuff. You know, like I'll give an example, like that NBA All-Star game I just did, well, it was not a cheap ticket, we'll just say that, but I have a restaurant in Vegas that I invested some money into. I just took my last 3-month dividend check from that one restaurant, which is one of 30 that I own, and that bought me that ticket for that game. You know what I mean? It's so like even though it looked ridiculous, like the amount of money I spent on that, you know, was shockingly stupid, that's a once in a lifetime experience that I wanted to have in my hometown with the All-Star game, and it really didn't I didn't even see the money. It just came mm-hmm. from literally it was not even my full dividend check from one restaurant.
0: It sounds like you really prioritize like life experiences, challenging yourself, but also it you have so much joy and passion in like just growing a business almost like it's a game. Not saying that it is, but
1: it is a game. Money's it, a game, life's a game, <laughs> you know. Like it really is and it's well it's cool when you get to a point like you have enough ups and downs, you go through enough different things. Like for me there's no bad days and this was one of the most expensive lessons I ever learned is Um, is life is a beautiful mess. And where we get in trouble is when we try to define life and needing it to look like a certain way. Like when you can kill the expectation of what your life's supposed to be and just enjoy it all as a beautiful mess, like, you know, look at your own life. Like you probably didn't think five years ago you'd have a kid, but is the kid the best part of your life now? Probably, I would guess, or at Mm -hmm. least one of them. And so like, we have this idea of what our life's supposed to look like, but the pain comes when it doesn't match what we think it needs to be. And usually, by the way, it's not even our own expectations. It's our parents, our culture, our church, our neighborhood, whatever. But when we can kill that, then you can embrace it all. So in the moment, I've gotten to this part now. And one of my buddies taught me this during the pandemic because I was not wired for a pandemic. Like I love travel. I've been to 99 countries. I love being with people. That's all I ever do. Like the pandemic to me was just the worst. And for like two months, I was like, am I the only sane person left? And uh And then all of a sudden, my buddy told me something. I had him on my podcast and he and I see a lot of things differently. But he said, hey, Jimmy, he said, true happiness is accepting everything as it is and not wishing it was any different. I was like, shit, that last part of that, not wishing it was any different. And I started thinking about that with the pandemic. And I'm like, damn, he's so right. And so I said, how can this be the best blessing of my life? And that's why I ended up forming my coaching group. How can I lead? How can I help people during this kind of a time? And I would have never done the group without the pandemic because I would have never slowed down enough to actually put the time and effort into doing it. And so at the end of the day, you know, when you can get to a place in life where everything becomes just part of the fun, and that's kind of where I've gotten to. Like, in the moment of bad things now, I'm like, well, this would be a fun life experience. I can literally, in the moment, be enjoying the thing going to shit. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's the key. And then from there, it's just like, okay, I want to live all of life. I want to experience all of it. I want to experience... I'm wired for variety as well, but, like, I just want to experience everything. And so to me, it's just a beautiful way to live.
0: I I think it's just so important for lash artists to hear that, especially because so much of what we do is like sitting stationary and, um, taking client after client, which can be, it could fill your cup, but it also can drain your cup too. Mm -hmm. Especially if you have clients that are trauma dumping on you and you interact with so many different people all the time you're so close to them and, Anyway, I think um, when I was a full-time lash artist and I would be there open to close, and I would be the social media person and I would clean up and I would do the reception and I would do the lashes, like I would just leave work feeling so depleted and like I wouldn't even have the energy to try other things, think about traveling or anything. I would just worry about, okay, I have my books in two weeks. I got to do it again. And It just felt like Groundhog Day every day, so... Um, I think it's important to see like the other side of that, like what life could look like, like how beautiful it could be if you also prioritize.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, there's a quote that I love. that's like, if we don't take the time to savor this planet, what care will we have to actually save it? Like you have to actually experience, like it, for me, when I go do amazing things, it motivates me because work can suck. Work can be a grind. Work can be really hard. But if you find you know, enough things that give you a lot of enjoyment. Now the work I get to do now is my job now. It's a joke that I get to call this work. Like it's the funnest thing ever. I literally just do amazing things with men all day long and help Mm -hmm. them in every way. And so it's like, but, but when I was doing real estate I liked real estate, but you know, if it was work or not work, I would have chosen not work. But I got to a point where it was so enjoyable to go to work because I knew the life that was given me and so it is important to take those times to yourself, like do those things, you know, when you're working, be working. I bet most people, they say, well, I can't afford to take off work. I would bet if you got more efficient, you're probably working 70% of the time you're actually in work hours. if you can get that to 100%, and that comes by having strong boundaries. When your client shows up late and you don't care for 20 minutes if you're cutting their hair, well, they show up late every time for twenty minutes. If they show up late once, twenty minutes late, and you go, "Hey, I'm sorry, I got another client coming. I can't do it now." I promise you, they won't show up late again. You know, you only have to leave your friends at the boat dock once before they show up on time to go boating. And so, like, just different boundaries. I got really good at just you know understanding, like, when I was working, I was working, and you know, as a, you're the top realtor in the office, if not in the whole state at the time. And so, every single lender wants to meet you. Every title company, every home inspector, every home warranty company. Hell, every insurance guy. And I just got really good at saying no to everything. You know, on your way up, you're building a clientele, you're building all, you you say yes to almost everything. But Mm -hmm. then you have to get really honest about, like I would just run this filter. My buddy Sean Whalen says this. Is, what do you want? Like, what do you really want to be doing? And if you don't want to do things, like you're actually, um, it's self-deception to do things you don't want to do. And you're out of integrity because you're not doing it with the right energy, the right spirit. So now when people ask me, like, do you want I'm like, no, if I don't, I just say no. And they're like, well, how come? I was like, no is a complete answer. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, we're not having a conversation around this. I don't want to. Um, and so anyway, the people that know me know that too. It's like, yeah, you'll, you'll know where you're at with Jimmy. And if he doesn't want to do something, like he won't do it, mm-hmm. and, you know, but it took years of getting really good at that. But the point is every minute I give to something I don't want to be doing or somebody I don't want to be with, I'm stealing that minute from something I want to be doing or somebody I want to be with. And so once you get clear on that, you start to go, oh, wait, I don't owe this person anything just because they're my neighbor or just because they want to get my time.
0: Have you ever turned down selling a house for somebody that like you just didn't like?
1: Oh yeah, plenty. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I've had plenty of conversations where I fired myself. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you one quick funny story. I had this guy, my brother Matt, actually was the one that referred him to me. He goes, hey, this guy's crazy. I don't even know if you want it, but he's got to sell a house and buy a new one. I'm like, no, I'll take the lead. He's like, dude, I'm telling you, he's nuts. I'm like, no, I'll take it. And uh, and the guy was crazy. And so we listed his home, and um, in the time we were trying to sell his house. He wanted to go see a new home build. And the way that works with new home builders is when you are the one that goes to show them the home, you get registered as the agent, they buy it, you get paid. And But the builder usually takes care of most of it. This builder was DR Horton, they're the biggest in the country. So they of course just take care of everything. Well, in that time frame, he, he then, I have a deal with my clients. Every Friday, I give them all a call if I'm selling their house and I give them a full update and feedback from the showings that week. And I never miss that call. It's my way of making sure they're not calling me all week but they know they're going to hear from me on Friday, so they don't care. They, they just wait for the call. And this particular client, I call him up and or he calls me Friday morning at like 8 a.m. He's like, Jimmy, just wondering, you know, what the feedback is. I'm like, dude, I'll call you later this afternoon. I'm still gathering, it, you know, and I always called like three, four o'clock. And he calls me at noon. He goes, hey, sorry, just I, I was wondering if I'd missed your call. I hadn't heard back from you. And I'm like, Tom, I told you I was going to call you this afternoon. And then at like three, he calls again, and he's like, I didn't answer. He calls back. I didn't answer. And he leaves a message, and <laughs> it's like, Jimmy, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up, pick up. And I'm just like, oh, hell no. I'm not dealing with this. He's crazy. And— uh, so I call him back. I'm like, Tom, what the hell was that? And he's like, well, you said you'd call us. Afternoon. I was like, I'm going to call you, but I can't because I am still getting the feedback. He goes, well, I just, I want to see if anybody's bought my house. I go, I can't find anyone to buy your house. Cause I've been talking to you all day. And mm-hmm. he's like, I don't like what you're talking. I'm fine. I, I quit. Like I'll fire myself. And I just fired myself. The irony of that one is six months later, I got a call from the title company. They're like, Hey, we got a check for you for like $13,000. And I'm like, what's the name on the file? And they said the address. And I'm like, I don't think I sold anything out there. What's the name? And they said this guy's name, Tom, whatever. And I'm like, oh my hell, he ended up buying the DR Horton house. So I ended up getting paid still on that deal, which was kind of wow. nice. But but I've, I mean, I've canceled, you know, I've fired dozens of clients. Like mm-hmm. I'll say, hey, we're not a good fit. Like it, it, even with my coaching program, to be honest, I had a guy come over to my house the other day. He Literally, he goes, can I come over to your house? I'm in the area. And he's a pretty prominent guy in, in my community. But there's some things that I don't agree with that I've heard. And I just want to fill him out. So he came over and he talked to me for half an hour and said, all right, I want to join your program. And I just looked at him and said, hey, I'll just being honest, like, I actually don't think it's a good fit. And told him no. like, Because one bad egg, I mean, it's going to ruin the whole thing, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, we have to do that, fire clients totally. sometimes. We, ha- we have to spend an hour with them every two weeks. Like, if they don't respect our policies and they always show up with stuff caked in their lashes and uh, show up 20 minutes late, like, it's, yeah. Yeah. Can't late cancel stuff like that.
1: Yeah. But I always say people will treat you the way you train them, Mm
0: -hmm. you know?
1: And so if you train people how to,
0: yeah. And I will say like earlier, you made the point of like, uh, them not ever doing it again. That's true for most people. Mm -hmm. They, that you do teach people how to treat you for sure. Like, yes. Uh, I also want to talk about competition, how you view that because you shared one time, I'm not, I can't remember if it was to me or on the show. Maybe listening to a clip of yours, you talked about when people were kind of deciding should I go with you or someone else. Mm-hmm. What would you say?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when I was building my business, I called for sale by owners all morning. That's how I got my business. There was about ten of us in the state that were really good at calling for sale by owners, and I would win most of the time. I mean, I was really good at it. Um, but there was one agent. And it was funny. I ran into his girlfriend. I'd beat him about nine out of ten times. I would usually beat him, but his girlfriend. I ran into her at the gym one time, and she goes, "Jimmy." I gotta know, like, how did you do it? How did you, you are the only agent that could beat him, but you beat him on every appointment, what did you do? And I said, well, it's interesting. I would always ask the clients after we interviewed, if they didn't pick me, how come they did or didn't? And they'd say the same thing. And so basically this guy would go in and he'd say all the reasons why they shouldn't use me. Jimmy works too, uh, he, he, you know, he's too distracted, he travels too much, he coaches high school baseball, he doesn't have time for you. And then I would go in, And I'd say the same thing, I'd say, look, there's two ways to build the tallest building in town. You can either tear down every other building until you're the tallest or you just build the tallest building. I said, at the end of the day, you've picked two agents that are both awesome agents. I'd be a liar if I said he's not a good agent because the guy sold 75 homes last year. I also sold 75 homes last year. And you know, I'm kind of giving subliminal, I'd be a liar if I said he wasn't a good agent because that's what he was basically saying about me. And I was like, look, clearly guy knows how to sell a house. And I'd say, if you don't use me, honestly, use him. You can't go wrong we're both going to probably get your house sold. Here's why I think I might have a few advantages, but at the end of the day, again, you got lucky. You got two of the best agents in town that knocked on your door and they use me almost every time. And Mm then, you know, because people like that positivity and it goes back to that saying, like, do you want to be the best because you, and people are dumb. They think if I tear down other people, people think I'm better, but all they're hearing is negativity. All they're hearing is this person's insecure, you know? Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, I just give props to everybody else. And it's cool. Like even with my coaching program, There's four or five other coaches that we sort of compete, but not really. We work together, and, like, I speak on their stages. They speak on mine, and we all just kind of help each other. We're all just in here, like, look, if people want to get coaching, they'll pick whichever vibe is theirs, whichever group they think is a better fit for them. None of them are better. They're just different. For one person, this is going to resonate, and for another one, this will.
0: Yeah. we um, Sometimes a client might start off with her lashes getting, you know, on another side of town or something they come to us and then they'll open up this like line like to kind of bait us to see what we would say and some some of it I think is like some people just like to be dramatic or like to talk badly about people and at my company it's a thing we never no matter if we're looking at the worst set of lashes we've ever seen we have to Every single thing that we want to tell them, we have to frame it positively. We have to be educational about it, honest, and um, never bash another artist. Is That's just how we do things. And we had that feedback sometimes from people of, this is why I stayed here is because you didn't say anything negative about the other person when you could have. And so I think that's really valuable um, to not look at competition like, you know, let's put them down so that I can seem better, but just be better. Yeah. It's a really good point.
1: Yeah. well, When people are attracted to positivity, at least positive people are right. And so like, for me, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, every time somebody wants to say something negative, I'm always, I always just assume they're always trying to catch me, you know, and I don't say anything if I won't put my name to it. And so I'll always say things like, I'll either just be quiet, which says a lot sometimes, or if I feel like I need to, I'll just be like, well, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. However, you know, Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah, I don't know anything about that. That's a good mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. But glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: yeah, good point. Um, can we talk about social media? Okay, because you you post a lot on TikTok and Instagram. Um, you have one page, right? Or your we are we are the day has a page. Too.
1: Yeah, but it's I'm. We're, I, I only have my, my page is me. Yeah, we're mm-hmm. branding ourselves these days. So like everybody has their own personal brand. That's where the world's going. Mm-hmm. And so my page is Jimmy Rex, like on whatever I'm really trying to grow.
0: Yeah, I have like six Instagrams.
1: You need to kill five of them. I know. <laughs> Just keep I've, I've
0: killed one, um, but yes. So anyway, my point being, you post a lot on Instagram and you post a lot of your clips of your podcast and what you're doing all of the time. Can you just share some of your tips for social media marketing?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, number one is people want to follow you. So only have the account of you personally. That just is how it is. Nobody wants to follow all these businesses and things and it gets confusing. Um, Number two is, you know, if you want people to be interested, you got to be interesting. So like when I decided to take it serious and start growing my page, I started traveling. I started meeting interesting people. I started talking about it, Um, you know, and then people want to be inspired. They want to be educated. They want to be entertained those are the three things that focus. And I always think like only post things you'd post to a group full of your friends. And so I'm always trying to, you know, my stuff's always one of those things, entertain, educate, or inspire. That's what I'm really trying to post. And so, um, yeah, I just, I spent a lot of time and effort growing it. I mean, last in 2021, to give you an idea, at the beginning of the year, I was, you know, selling houses. I put up two, stories on my Instagram, and from those two stories, I sold 31 condos in Park City. They were ski and ski out parks, uh, Park City condos. I made over a million dollars that day in commissions from two posts. Later in the year, I opened up my coaching program, and in one day, like I already talked about, sold it out, I made over $900,000 in one day. Another day that year, um, I opened up some restaurants, Some we were um, doing some funds and things like that, and I ended up making all, almost $800,000 in one day from selling these restaurants and some things. So, you can see the power of social media is ginormous.
0: It wasn't just y- you thought, let me just post this and you have no following and you never post anyways. And no, you're it was just years
1: selling. of building it up, right? So, like, what, the first time I took it serious, there's a girl named Charlie Jordan. Um, and she was living at my house. She was uh, dating my roommate at the time. And uh, she was 19 or 20, I think. And she um, was all happy one day. And I was like, what's up? And she's like, oh, I just made. I think she made like $40,000, $80,000 or something in one post, like for 45 minutes. She's like, yeah, my mom's a lawyer. I made more this week than she made last year. And she's just loving life. And I'm like, what the hell? I was like, all right, Charlie, you got to teach me about this. And that was the first day I was like, whoa, this is the day I quit posting my food and start taking this thing serious. And then I spent four days on a liveaboard with Garrett G, um, the Bucket List family, and oh. they have millions of followers. And same thing, he was making over a million dollars a year just posting and traveling the world, getting every single thing paid for. And I spent four days on that boat with him And so I started taking it serious, but ultimately every single one of us is a brand and we all need to take it serious. Like we are our own brand now. And so whatever you're portraying or not portraying it, you know, it's going to be to your own detriment. But like, if you want people to be interested, like I said, in what you're doing, be interesting and you can't fake it on social media, like not anymore. Like people are going to see through that. And so you have to really go do the things, like have the experiences. And it's actually a really cool excuse to get out and do cool stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Just make yourself more interesting.
0: One of the things that you did on social media um, was create this, like, movement, uh, this uh, viral—it's called the $100 Dinner Club, Yep. right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that? Because I know everyone's heard about it, but I don't think they know that you were the one— Yeah, well,
1: during the pandemic, you know, it was restaurants were getting hammered, and um, they were really getting mad at everybody for getting together in any way, shape, or form. And so I said, I want to get together, and I want to honor the restaurants that have stayed open, that have managed to make this worker that are dying on the vine. And so— we started picking a new restaurant once a week and me and all my friends, uh, I just put stuff on Instagram. And I think the first one we ever did, we had like 27 people. We had as many as a hundred people, but every one of us brings a hundred dollars cash or they would Venmo me and I'd bring a big wad of cash. At the end of the meal, we bring our waiter, waitress over our server and we give them all the money for a tip. So, you know, we gave 2,700 bucks for a tip, four grand for a tip. Then we started going like, this is cool. And then I had some of my wealthier buddies be like, let's just do a thousand dollar dinner club. So i like, all right, screw it. And so we did that. And I think we gave away a $40,000 tip. We gave away, you know, just a humongous tips. These people just life-changing type of experiences. Um, but what was cool, like I'll give you one example we did, and you know, what was cool about it was Um, It was the perfect excuse to get together. Nobody could say shit to us because we were helping people. And it makes such a difference. And people would always be like, you have no idea what that person was going through. You guys showed up at the perfect time. And what people don't realize is everybody's struggling, especially if they're serving. And so it's like financially, they're struggling. And so every single person had this crazy story. We had one, I, I got invited to come to Mexico to work at this, uh, hospital down there. These guys wanted me to come down. And I said, I'll come as long as we all go out. I'm doing this every Wednesday. We do the hundred dollar dinner club. So we got to do it while we're in Mexico. They're like, yeah, sure. So, I mean, in Mexico, a hundred bucks each, we're in the middle of Guadalajara or whatever. Um, it was like, you know, each of us bringing thousands of dollars basically at this place. And, uh, there was five of us went to dinner. So we had a $500 tip and the waiter, you know, we gave him the tip, we did the whole thing and, and he, you know, just goes away and, and he's, we can see he's been crying. And one of his coworkers comes over. She goes, hey, who are you guys? Like, how did you know about this today? And we're like, well, about what? She's like, his brother was um, went missing a year ago today. and No one's ever heard from him again since. And uh, we're sure it's a cartel thing, but like, and you guys showed up today. He's having the worst day and you guys just did that. And it was just like this, like, oh my gosh. And we had so many of those experiences over and over and so it was just so cool and we still do it it's still you know we do it as much now restaurants kind of had a full comeback um but at the end of the day uh we were able to do it and what was cool is the movement people would criticize me they'd be like oh you guys just do this to show it and i was like oh i'm sorry we can only share bad news online like what they didn't understand is i was trying to create a movement it wasn't about look at us what we just did it was hey hopefully this inspires you to do the same and you know, I remember one guy was coming at me online once and that morning I was sent a video, some random lady in Kentucky just got like a $2,500 tip or something, right? Um, from a group that just saw what I was doing. Some realtors in Kentucky decided to do it out there. And this was, there was hundreds of cities where this happened um, was going on all the time. Um, and you know, it's just this total amazing video, life-changing for this lady. And by the way, it's not even the money. It's like, wow, people actually see me, people care. Like people are nice enough to do this for us. Um, but it was so cool. So I just watched that video and this dude was coming at me online and I'm like, dude, I was like, I don't really care if you don't like me or if you think I did this for a show. Some lady that I'll never meet in Kentucky today got $2,500. So if you think I'm an asshole for posting it, fine. But she went home and had the best day she's had in months. So piss off. And But we just had such a beautiful experience with it, you know, and, and it's still going on. We, I get posted, I get tagged and stuff about once a week still and just people all over the country. And what became cool is even people that weren't getting together with their friends and doing a big group, I mean, thousands of people started leaving a $100 tip mm-hmm. on their own bill, right? And those ones I was getting tagged in multiple times a day. I mean, it was just people left and right leaving these big tips.
0: So cool. Yeah. I love that. It's, yeah, it's really touching. Um, I also wanted to ask you about you just threw your first in-person conference. Mm-hmm. Did you call it a conference or seminar? Yeah,
1: first annual event. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm doing that in two months in April. Um what is something that surprised you about throwing an event?
1: Um, you know, what was interesting is, is by the time the event rolled around, everything was kind of done like the week of, and even during everything flowed. Like, cause that's how I am. Right. I mean, if you got a bunch of problems a day of, that's just more putting out fires. Like, mm-hmm. um, but honestly it was for me. I just, I hired the right speakers. I hired the right, I created the right events. I was all prepared. So I got to just enjoy it. And so, Honestly, what was cool is like people get so afraid to do these things, but I just have just put yourself out there and do it. You know, I remember the first time I started throwing parties and big events and I'd fall on my face oh, left and right, but now I can throw an event with 500 people and it was seamless. Like, to be honest, it was, it, everything went beautifully. And so I think that's my best advice.
0: Preparation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. it's I'm so excited. I, I feel like that, that's how I feel going up to it. I'm like, I don't have, my to-do list is getting a lot smaller <laughs> I'm starting to worry that like, am I forgetting something? And then the day I have, I'm going to be like, oh no, there's no banner or something. Yeah. But, and
1: by the yeah. way, like if everything is go perfect, nobody knows that it's not perfect. Mm, so yeah. don't be too hard on it. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, nobody knew it was supposed to be any different. Right. How many people you have coming?
0: 200. That's awesome. It's no, yeah. That's big.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool.
0: yeah. Um, it's really the venue can't take any more than that where I am, know. but um, hopefully it'll grow. And I'm just so excited. This is the first year doing it in person, but I've done it twice um, online, cool. So awesome. Yeah, we'll see. Um, what about the attendees that attend stuff like that? So you've attended a ton of masterminds and stuff, including one that was about a hundred thousand dollars to get yeah, in. Yeah, I joined.
1: A, I joined a mastermind at a hundred grand. Yeah, for the year.
0: Can you talk about why you do that? Even you know, being in the position you're in now, super successful.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, so- it's all about proximity, right? You've got to get around people doing more than you are. Um, you know, in that mastermind, I spent six figures to join it, but I met Aubrey Marcus. I got to spend day a couple of days with him. I met Prince EA. He taught me how to do YouTube. We did a YouTube video together. That was my most viral YouTube video I've ever done. I, you know, got to be close friends with Dan Fleischman who introduced me to all these other people. And, you know, I ended up uh, meeting people like Cody Sperber and Pace Morby and all these different amazing humans because the thing about like a mastermind that costs a hundred grand to join is you're only surrounded by people that can pay a hundred grand to join a mastermind. Like, and it's, you just meet amazing. It's not about the money, but it's what those people have been able to accomplish to do that, right? And so it's like, and by the way, people, if you're hearing this, right, like, well, I don't have a hundred grand. Well, you can buy a book you know, you can get 100 years of wisdom of somebody that was amazing or 50 years of wisdom in 10 hours of a book. Mm. So like I read hundreds of books before I ever went to conferences and then I would go to whatever conference I could afford and mastermind. And then I got a little bit better and I you know, started going. I'd spent I remember when I spent seven grand to go to Tony Robbins. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so much money. You know, yeah. now this year I just hired Ed Mylett is my one on one coach. Um, he's personally coaching me on how to, cause I've kind of got this regional brand in Utah is helping me go national. And so like, I just said, who's the best in the world right now? It's Ed my And so I f- had an opportunity, took it multiple seven figures to hire him. Sorry, six figures. Sorry, six, um, multiple six figures to hire him. And, but he's already introduced me to like 15 amazing humans that want to help me because I'm friends with Ed. Mm -hmm. I never would have got that proximity. And so the more you can level up and, you know, just get around people that have been where you're being, where you want to go, like they know how to do it. They know how to master that thing. And they can give you in one or two hours of their time, it can save you one or two years of trying to figure it out on your own.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. I know it's, you know a lash podcast but i still feel like you just have so much knowledge just all the principles of business you know could be beneficial to our industry so
1: yeah no i appreciate having me i've spoken on a couple of beauty podcasts and got a lot of feedback i love you know and i mean everybody we can all learn from each other everywhere Mm -hmm. i think it's one of the most important things to learn is like everyone has something to teach you and never be too good to, to listen
0: totally well thank you
1: thank you